0: This month, 15 years ago, on July of 2005, Cindy and I and four-week-old Andrew in the womb arrived in Manila to help in the Grace Ministries. It's both a milestone personally, since we had in mind only to stay for an initial three years, and a milestone for the church as I now become the longest-serving lead pastor in residence since the founding of the church in 1968. I'd been here from 2002 to 2005, helping both the school and the church on an interim basis, flying back and forth from the U.S. and the Philippines. But in 2005, we prayerfully decided to dedicate our lives to serving the Lord full-time here in the Philippines in this season of our life. We arrived not knowing what the future would hold for us, but we trusted the Lord by faith and what an exciting ride it's been. To have the privilege of being able to lead GCCP on a unique journey, beginning as a 28-year-old to now a 43-year-old, having literally grown in size along with the church. It's just been wonderful beyond words. With all that I have experienced these past 15 years, I often say there's really nothing more that surprises me. I've literally heard and experienced it all. People often ask me, what's the most memorable event or memory that you've experienced during your pastorate at Grace. And it's very hard to have just one because there are simply so many wonderful memories, memories of joyful times, such as rejoicing with young people whose parents come to a saving knowledge of Jesus after they have been praying for them for more than a decade. Or memories of cringe-worthy times, like the time I said the groom's ex-girlfriend's name instead of the bride's name. Or just a few weeks ago, when instead of pronouncing a couple to be married, I pronounced them to be baptized. Or memories of unexpected times, just like when a child decides to vomit on me on a Sunday morning when you are dedicating them to the Lord. Or memories where you don't know if you should laugh or reprimand when two little brothers decide to get into a Christmas Sunday boxing match in the middle of their presentation. Or the times of great sadness, like having to lay to rest a a young child and trying to comfort a devastated family. The memories are many. But if hard-pressed to choose one event or one memory of great impact, let me tell you about one of them when after we closed the church for more than a year because the church sanctuary needed renovations, it had not been renovated after 40 years since it's building, and we were not able to meet at the sanctuary. And I remember that Sunday when we so missed meeting in the sanctuary, when the newly renovated church was opened for service, and as the people came in, there were lots of oohs and ahs as members walked in, and when they saw the sanctuary, it was similar, but it wasn't the same. The orange felt fabric that they had been so accustomed to behind the cross, was no longer there. The choir stage had been removed. The marble had been polished to a sparkling white after decades of dirt buildup. And the iconic hanging lights that would raise the temperature 5 to 10 degrees if you happened to sit under one of those lights was all gone. But what I remember most clearly about that Sunday morning was of an unimpressed young person entering with his parents' And exclaiming loud enough for me to hear, what's the big deal? It looks the same. The giant cross is still in the middle. There it is. But I remember in my mind, I was saying in my heart, amen, young man. Amen. You see, as long as I am the pastor, the cross of Christ will always have center focus. The cross will always have central focus. As the church has gone through quite a transformation in these past 15 years by God's grace. The needed changes have at times been difficult, especially to implement. But the church leadership and the community have always rallied to take on the challenges and to embrace these changes. However, it is important to be reminded as a church community that there are certain things that should never change. Even with the COVID pandemic that is changing organizations and transforming organizations positively, here are some things I want to share with you that should never change for the church. And I want to share from you from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, on this, my 15th year personal milestone as the pastor of grace. Five things I want to share with you that should never change in the church of your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I know it is a passage you are familiar with. It is the passage known as the Great Commission. Look with me at Matthew chapter 28, reading from verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth The resurrected Jesus prior to his ascension into heaven began his last words as recorded by Matthew speaking to all of his disciples with this reminder, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The authority and the power of how we can fulfill the work of the great commission as a church is rooted in Jesus Christ. It's not in our own power or abilities that we do the kingdom work for the Lord, but it is in Christ and in him alone. Now, through this statement, Jesus was reminding the disciples then and the disciples today, us, that it's about Him. You say, why would Jesus have to remind His disciples about this? Because, as surprising as it may be, followers of Jesus have a bad habit to easily forget about Him. Think about Christmas time. We have to keep reminding ourselves about the so called quote unquote reason for the season. But for many, it's just a phrase that really doesn't mean very much. Because even though we remind each other about the reason for the season, our Christmas celebrations and our activities is still about other things where Christ is often neglected or he's given a courtesy mention. It's like celebrating the birthday party for someone but forgetting to ever invite the celebrant. And if you think that only happens during Christmas time, Think again. In the Christian life, the life that we live, we often forget about Christ. How often do you think about Him every day? And as the body of Christ, the church can also ironically forget about Christ because it's busy doing everything else except remembering Christ. But it should not be. You see, at no time ever, should we ever forget Christ? The first thing that we should not change in an ever-changing church is that we should always remember it's about Jesus Christ. No change number one, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's why as a church community and in each of our lives, everything that we do must be Christ-centered, Because if not, then not only will we lose our authority to affect change in this world, as Christ said so himself, but as a church corporate or as Christians individually, we don't have much to offer the world if we have forgotten to talk about Jesus. If we don't preach and focus on Christ and Him crucified, crucified for our salvation and our eternal life, then what is the purpose of the church gathered and the church scattered? What can we offer the world if there is no Christ? Where they will say, wow, that's so cool. What can we offer? Nothing, if you really think about it. Sadly, without Christ, the church doesn't have much to offer. We don't have anything to offer that the world wants or needs if it isn't Christ. Because our families generally aren't any better. Our marriages and the track records of a Christian's marriage isn't really much better than a non-Christian's. Our friendship dynamics aren't any better than the world's. Our social work isn't any better. In many ways, without Christ, the church is no better than the world. Again, think about what the church can offer the world that they can't get from other organizations. If you say the church can offer a feeding program, food, Well, so does the United Nations Food Aid Program, or UNICEF, or World Vision, or DSWD. If you say that the church can offer education, you can say, I know of a better school. You can say the church can offer great music. Someone can say, I can go listen to better music at a concert hall. You can say the church can offer entertainment. But the world can go to a theater or watch a movie. And even if you're looking for kindness and warmth or understanding, you can find that in the hundreds of community groups and support groups. You can find that in therapy or therapists. Or even you can find that with people who are offering free hugs. If you're looking for community, you can find better communities outside of the church, even through social media. But when we remember that all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth, then it reminds us that it is about Jesus Christ. It is the need to live out our lives and to proclaim it as truth that He died and rose again to provide salvation for the hopeless, fallen world in which we live. The uniqueness of Christ is that the God-man came to earth to provide salvation for us by dying on our behalf to bring salvation and help. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ should never be diminished He is the only way to salvation. He is the perfect sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. Jesus is the revelation of God himself, God incarnate. It's about the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross, and him crucified. And so Jesus rightfully centers the focus of these disciples on him. All authority has been given to me in both the heavenly realm and in the earthly realm. That's everything. That is what the church should be proclaiming. And that is something that cannot and must not change. Why do I hit on this so strongly? You see, as the church continues to grow, there will be many things that pull us in various directions. In the business world, we call this vision creep. We will lose focus on what is central to our faith. And we will lose focus on what is central to our church body if we forget what is important, and that is to boldly and loudly proclaim that it is about Jesus Christ. It's happened to many churches, and it's happened to many organizations, where when they no longer hold the Bible as an inerrant inspired word of God, and when they no longer focus on Christ and Him crucified, It's no longer central to their messaging. Then the church or the organization simply turns into another social or community group that gathers once a week. Look at the first part of verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Here the Lord tells us, disciples go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make Christ followers of all the peoples of the world by evangelizing them and discipling them, teaching them about the faith so that they can be lifelong followers of Christ and then to reproduce the process. But let's break this down. The first part of disciple-making is evangelism, the telling of Jesus to everyone you know and in your spheres of influence. Let's not mix up the method with the message. The message is always the same about Jesus Christ dying and being raised from the dead to bring salvation to the world. The message and the method may change with the culture and the times, but the message of Jesus is always the same. You see, at the end of the day, the reason you and I are challenged to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus Christ, is because you and I love them. It's simply a sad fact that people are destined for hell if they don't know jesus so evangelism at its root core is about other people is about your love for others it's not about you because if it's about you you and i wouldn't do the work of evangelism who wants to keep getting rejected who wants to keep having doors slammed in their faces who wants to risk not being liked or being misunderstood But we are willing, I hope, to take the abuse and the rejection because we love people. We see men and women who are lost in this world as Jesus sees them. And the Bible tells us Jesus came to save sinners. As this pandemic has shown churches around the world, it's not about having an awesome building. It's not about having a great youth ministry. It's not about having lots of beautiful music. These are only but means of telling people about the message of Jesus Christ. At its core, evangelism is about loving men and women who are lost. And that's why the Apostle Paul said he was willing to go to any lengths just to lead men and women to Christ. Paul writes these words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. He writes about the extent that he will go just to lead and to win people to Christ, because it's about people. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I become a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Notice what Paul says. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He so desires that people who are lost come to know Christ. And he does so, verse 23, for the gospel's sake. Even Jesus didn't come to be well-liked. He said himself, he came to seek and save the lost. Not to win a popularity contest. He came to rescue people, sinners like you and me. And that's why we want to grow the church. We want to grow the church not because we need the numbers. It's never been about the numbers. We grow the church because... By doing so, we are adding to the people who come to know Jesus Christ. You know, 15 years ago, my prayer was that if God would allow this church to grow, that at least 85% of our church growth would come from unbelievers and non-church people. Because if we're simply adding people from other churches, then we're playing what's called the church shuffle game. No one is added to the kingdom of God. And so that's why we evangelize. That's why we share the gospel of Jesus with others, so that we can win them out of death and eternal damnation to life, to hope, to eternal life. The second part of disciple-making is coming alongside someone who has placed their faith in Jesus and journeying with them in their faith walk by teaching them the things of the Lord and by spurring them on to living out those truths. But again, in this second part of disciple-making, it's about people. It's helping others know Christ more, which, of course, naturally means that you personally also need to be growing in Christ so that out of the outflowing of your life, you can teach others about Jesus. But what extent are you willing to go to to journey along with men and women who are new to the faith or young in the faith to encourage them to mature in the faith. In one of the hardest Bible verses for me to accept, Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Imagine that. Paul was willing to give up eating meat just so someone's faith will grow if they are weak in the faith. It's always about others. It's not about you. And if you and I are of the notion that the church exists to serve you or primarily exists to serve the needs of you and your family, then you are sorely missing the point. It's about others. It's about encouraging people of all nations to join us in becoming close followers of Jesus Christ. If this pandemic has taught us anything, it is to remind us that Christianity is not a building. It's not a program. It's not an institution or an organization. It's to remind us that people matter most to the Lord. People of all color and races matter to God. That's why the lockdown, even though it caused us not to be able to see each other physically and gather physically, has not changed the church fundamentally. It's not stopped us from reaching out to people or to meet them where they're at and to minister to those who are in need. Yes, we just have to be a bit more creative and think outside of the box to be able to operate as the church scattered But the essence of Christianity with the focus on people has in no way been affected by this pandemic. You see, this is something that should never change in our church, number two. No change, number two. It's about reaching people to become lifelong followers of Christ. It's about reaching people to become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. One of my biggest fears as the pastor, is that as we continue to grow and we get settled as a church, we forget that it's about people. And so what happens is that we focus more on the program. We focus more on sustaining what we already have. Unless we keep reminding ourselves that we have a charge to make disciples, which is to focus on relationship with others then we will only keep up with our programs and our facilities. We will continue doing church instead of being the church. I love the perspective of one of our church members. His name is Oliver, and he shares his testimony in our Faces of Grace ministry on Facebook. His desire to disciple those who are in the military and the police. Oliver says this, I value service, honor, and justice, but not just to set a good example for younger police officers to follow, but also to prove to others that there are still PNP leaders who stay true to the PNP philosophy and core values. Most importantly, I strive for these things, not because I'm a colonel, but because I also serve the King of Kings. Oliver was once a Freemason, and was the highest-ranking officer of a Masonic lodge. But with great power, he had, as a master mason, Oliver admits there were times he was quite hesitant to give up his position. But after being saved and publicly proclaiming his faith through baptism here to our church, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit to relinquish his Masonic position. He had a greater ministry. If you won't have a set of principles, that will keep you grounded. It'll really be difficult not to let all that power get to your head, considering all the advantages that come with it, he admits. In my case, it was either power or God. Honestly, there were really tempting moments. But it said in the Bible, you cannot serve two masters. By his grace, I was able to choose him. It's about following Jesus for the rest of your life. Oliver continues to affect change by discipling many under his command. So what are you and I doing to make disciples of all those in our spheres of influence? Are you and I willing to go the extra step to reach out to the unreached and to those who are new to the faith? Or do we simply just want to maintain the program? The work of the church has not and should not change It's about other people. It's about others. The second part of verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus begins to talk about baptizing them in the name of the triune Godhead. And for those of you who don't know, baptism is the public profession of one's inner faith in Jesus Christ. The entire exercise of disciple making is towards life change. From death to life. And continually becoming more like Jesus Christ. This is something our church should never change. No change number three. It's about life change through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. It's about life change through the transformation and enablement of the Holy Spirit. The work of the church and the church body is to challenge each other and spur each other on towards life change through the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things that gets me excited every day to pastor the church when I see life change in the men and women of our community, because each of us are not perfect, and so each of us can certainly level up to becoming more Christ-like. We've seen here at our church over the years that there are people who you don't expect to find in a church as part of our community. I absolutely love it when there are people who are surprised to see that there are so-called non-church-type people who are worshiping with us. I want to ask them, what exactly are non-church-type people? Is there really a type? Because technically we're all non-church-type people. We're all imperfect. We're saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. So as they say, only imperfect people are allowed at GCCP. Because if you're going to allow only perfect people who aren't spiritually broken and have never messed up in life, then what's the point of church? No one is worthy to come. But since only imperfect people are allowed to come, then you're going to have a gathering of people who are spiritually broken, people whose lives are so messed up, but they are being challenged to change through the transformation of the Holy Spirit. But that life change shouldn't just happen in the context of the church community. It should be happening in your homes, your place of work, your schools. It should be a change so dramatic and drastic that friends and family stop you and ask you, why have you changed and how has this change occurred? How you as a husband or employee are now able to control your anger. How you as a teenager are able to be respectful and understanding even if you don't agree with your parents' decision. How wives are able to submit to their husbands even if they want to naturally fight back. Or how you can forgive someone who has wronged you. And when they ask you, how can you be the way you are, you tell them, it's because Jesus Christ forgave me so I can forgive others. I'm a work in progress to be more like my master Jesus who I follow. There must be continual life change to become more like Christ because if you are not in this process, then honestly, what's the point? You know, people complain to me all the time, Change is hard, I can't do it, but let me tell you about PJ. In his own words, he says this in his testimony, during the time I was working in my dad's construction business, we were constructing an auditorium, and one of the requirements was to acquire necessary permits like building and occupancy permits. Since we underestimated the budget in securing these permits, my dad wanted to skip this process by lying to the authorities. But being a Christian, PJ knew deep down in his heart something wasn't right and he had to do something about it. He says, it really doesn't feel right in the sight of God. I felt bad because if I did the right thing, my dad would feel I betrayed him. On the other hand, if I didn't do the right thing, my conscience will burden me forever. P.J. notes in his testimony, after they finished constructing the auditorium, he decided to quit his father's company after his father constantly rejected his suggestion to comply with the authorities. It was a really hard decision since I didn't know what to do. But I praise God for blessing me with friends who contacted me and asked for my construction services. Approximately two years after, I was able to save some money and volunteer to fix the problem that my father had made. It's about life change. It's about men and women who are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to change them and for them to take that step of faith into applying that change. Look at the first part of verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here Jesus commanded the disciples that they were to teach others to live out all the things that they themselves were commanded to follow. This is the part of the discipleship process to live out in life change what had been taught. But this process begins with the last part of that line, I have commanded you. You see, Jesus had taught his disciples truth. And while it was a charge that they should live out this truth, even more basic is that it was about truth. You see, implied in the great commission of our Lord is the importance of teaching truth. You can only challenge others to live out truth if you are teaching truth, and that should not change. You see, no change number four. It's about teaching the timeless truth of the Bible. It's about teaching the timeless truth of the Bible. In this 21st century, everyone is entitled to their own opinions and their own points of view. But at the end, it's only about truth. And that truth comes from the Almighty Living God. John chapter 1, verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's why in these times of changing truths based on one's opinions... We as a church community, gathered or scattered, must teach timeless truths that do not change because our God doesn't change. So we may have to teach truth that isn't popular, isn't readily accepted, but we must do so unapologetically. We must teach truth straight to the point without making excuse for that truth. That truth is to be conveyed, of course, with love and grace. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, "That your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's why we preach the Bible here at our church. It's preached without apology. It's preached systematically. It's preached expositorily and expositionally. We appreciate it without jumping all around because it forces us to teach all the Bible, even the parts that are hard to understand and even the parts that are hard to hear and to accept. Teaching truth that you may not be okay with the first time you hear it or even the second time. And you may even get mad at me as the messenger But it is always the message of the truth of Scripture that we teach. Understand that, parents, especially as you teach your children. And that was Jesus' admonition, teaching them all things that I have commanded you, all things that I have taught you. That's why in these 15 years, over the course of probably more than 500 sermons and messages, I preached... In each of the 66 Bible books and fully verse by verse through about 30 plus books in the Bible. And it should be the goal of every preacher to preach through all 66 books of the Bible in their lifetime. And that's my goal if the Lord allows. Because when you and I sugarcoat the truth, it is a disservice to the listener. It may not be popular, but it must be heard. Let's say, for example, there is poison that is packaged like a piece of candy. And you know of this, and your child is about to eat this poison pill that is packaged like a piece of candy. What will your reaction be? You'll simply, without hesitation, tell them, Do not eat it. Do not eat it. Give it to me now. And they may cry and whine. Would you say, give it to me because you love them? Or perhaps, would any parent do this? Well, son, don't eat it. You may get an ouchy stomach if you eat it, but you can if you want. Or you may choose not even to tell them at all because you don't want to be one of those parents, that sort of no-candy parent that children don't like. No, you speak truth because you love your child. In the same way Jesus in his love doesn't mince words and neither should we when we teach truth from the Bible because we love. It is truth. It's important to teach truth and there is a command from Jesus himself to observe all truth and as long as I'm pastor here at this church and hopefully others who come on after me, they will see to it that we always teach truth from God's word. Look at The second part of verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Here, finally, the Lord concludes his great commission. He concludes his charge by reassuring the disciples that he will always be with us, even until the end of the age. We can take the gospel to the ends of the earth and into every corner of our neighborhoods because Christ is always with us. This is a challenge that we should always continue our task until our Lord comes because He's with us until the end. Then that means we have a charge to work until the end. I see this as a challenge for the church corporately and us individually to make an impact. You see, it's about making an impact because if we don't, then what is our purpose in the world to which the Lord says He will be with us? You see, in multiple parables and teachings from the Lord, and even in epistles like Hebrews, there is a challenge for us not to be useless. When we are useless, quote-unquote, to the Lord because we're not doing anything, then the Lord has no use for us. But to make a difference, we need to leave a, a lasting legacy. We're not called to live this life to simply go through the motions of being the church or playing the part of a Christian. It is to make an impact in the community that God has placed us in and to affect change in our spheres of influence for the Lord. And this is something that should not change, number five. No change, number five. It's about making an impact for the Lord. It's about making an impact for the Lord. Look at your life. What impact are you making Each of us as members of the body of Christ are called to make an impact. Each of us one day will be asked to give an accounting of our lives as we have lived as followers of Jesus Christ for our rewards. How will our life be assessed? And so as we continue as a church, the challenge is for us to make an impact because Jesus says, I'm with you. Even to the very end of the age, He didn't say, for the first hundred years of the church, you make an impact, and the rest of church history, we are to be in maintenance mode. The Lord is there to enable us so that we can make an impact even to the end of the age. I think of one of our church members, Marilyn, as she tells her testimony of how her cousin accidentally hit a motorcycle driver who was 19 years old with one of her trucks and killed that person. Marilyn's cousin was sent to jail, and since the teenager's family was in the province and they didn't have enough resources to give them a burial, Marilyn shouldered all the expenses and made the arrangement for the body to be transported to Iloilo. As she went back and forth to the jail to try to arrange her cousin's bail, she noticed the difficult life of some of the inmates. I passed by a 20-square-meter room, she notes, and was shocked to see it filled with 90 inmates. This led Marilyn to ask the police officers if they could do something about the inmates' crowded room. The police officer replied, Yes, we can. Are you going to donate? Their response challenged Marilyn and led her to a ministry that ultimately changed the lives of the people inside that provincial jail. Marilyn and her husband coordinated with the police officers inside the jail as they handed out food and toiletries and gospel tracts to the prisoners. And with the help of a local pastor in his church, Marilyn partnered in building a team that would minister to the people in that jail. She continues to minister to the women in that jail until today. That's what it means to make an impact, and that is how we can make an impact, even though it scares us because Jesus' own words in the Great Commission, lo, I'm with you always, even until the very end. As we continue to enter into the 21st century and with so many things changing so quickly, our church will be pulled in all different directions. But there are some essentials that we cannot change. We must remember it's always all about Jesus, that the church is called to serve people, and it's to motivate and to challenge men and women to live change lives, and that in the process of being challenged towards life change, we must be teaching the timeless truths of the Scriptures so that the church scattered and the church gathered can make an impact in our world today. The world is missing the church that Jesus desires. Let us be that church until Christ comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a reminder of the Great Commission once again. We admit and ask for your forgiveness because we are not doing it. I pray that you would renew, reinvigorate, and remind us that the task we have is great, but it is made simple because in you is all authority. In you is all power. We are simply to be the messenger. It is your job to convict lives. It is your job to enact life change. So help us to do what we are called to do. Help us to be the church gathered and the church scattered Help us to make an impact in our generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.